Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. It's our first episode of 2024. We're very excited to be back after a couple weeks off. And even more exciting, we are entering our 19th year of Harry Potter podcasting. Wow. 19 years later. So our birthday will be in August. We'll have to do something special since, of course, the epilogue is set 19 years after the events at Deathly Hallows. Choo-choo. Can't believe it. <laughs> I know. I know. It's wild. And and none of us uh, have children yet, at least that I know of. So <laughs> I, I think the one thing that we can do to really solidify our legacy is, you know, when the first Muggle cast baby comes along, should that ever happen? Uh, it cannot have a cringy, terrible name like the ones that we mm. saw in the epilogue. Mm. Let's all agree to that right now. I, I was, was going to say, yeah, come July uh, or August, we should all don really, really aged makeup, like prosthetic <laughs> oh, no. makeup. Ooh, yeah. And go meet in London and just look really, really old. No, we, we have aged far better than those characters did. Yeah. Yes. A lot of people might not know they originally shot the epilogue scene with these really this really bad makeup like Draco looked awful. He looked like he was 100, not not it didn't, he didn't look like he only aged 19 years. He looked worse than Nicholas Flamel. Mm. <laughs> mm. They shot the scene, too, at the real King's Cross, which was very nice. But then everybody looked so bad. I think Ron looked like he was balding. Yeah. <laughs> that they decided to reshoot it. They did a better job with aging the characters up. Unfortunately, though, they did not film again at King's Cross. So we didn't get that authenticity. But yes, I think we should all look as bad for our big 19th birthday episode this August. No, I think that we should... Um provide kind of a lesson to the fandom that hey actually 19 years later because we're all about the same age that the trio would have been in the epilogue um you look a lot better than what was depicted (laughs) in the movie that's right (laughs) give everybody hope happy 19 years sort of kinda and we're going to be watching our words carefully this week, lest Rita Skeeter twist any statements from this week's episode to create some hot goss for the Daily Prophet. <laughs> Today, we're discussing Chapter 10 of Goblet of Fire, Mayhem at the Ministry. But first, a couple of announcements. We touched on this, I think, at the end of last year. Bonus MuggleCast installments are coming to our paid Apple Podcast subscription starting later this month. For just $4.99 a month, you can sign up for MuggleCast Gold. That's a new announcement. We're calling this MuggleCast Gold. Andrew, are we sure we want to do this, given the success of other Harry Potter-related things branded gold? You're referring to the hits subscription service Wizarding World Gold. (laughs) Yes, yes. Are we sure that this is an okay name? We're going to we're going to do the gold thing the right way. And ours is like <laughs> half the price. I think theirs was $90 or $99, oh, $79. Yes. Ours is definitely cheaper than that. $4.99 a month. You can sign up for MuggleCast Gold and you'll receive ad free early access to our main show. Plus two new bonus MuggleCast installments every month in which we discuss the latest Wizarding World news, our favorite headcanons. We do these introspective looks back at book releases and uh original titles that JKR was considering, and so much more. We do do a lot of really fun one-off discussions. 
These have been previously available on Patreon, but now they're also available on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, I was going to shout out too that uh, some of those bo- uh, some of those bonuses made their way to the main feed as well as a good sample um, re- over the holiday break. Yeah. yeah, and I know I've said it before on the show, Andrew, but I really do think that this is a good deal, even at four ninety nine. At four ninety nine, and here's why: you're getting the show, right, and then you're getting two additional pieces of content. It's ad free. What more could you get? You're paying less than a dollar. You can get it early too. And you do. Yeah. There you go. And if you think about it, everybody does this probably at least once a week, right? What do you do? You go to Starbucks or you go to your favorite coffee spot in the morning. How much does your coffee cost? More than $5. More than $5. So you can get ad free early muggle cast four episodes a month two bonus muggle casts a month it's a good yeah. deal it's a very good deal and brew your coffee at home also if you walk into the gift shop of harry potter and the cursed child wherever it may be playing and you tell them that you're a member of muggle cast gold i bet they'll think you're pretty cool <laughs> maybe they'll give <laughs> we'll you a give pin. them a little badge <laughs> they might yeah. have a pin left over ask them if they have any pins for being a gold member don't specify which gold and maybe Maybe you'll be in love. Oh, yeah, I missed that. That was a good idea that they had. Yeah. Well, anyway, we really appreciate everybody's support. We couldn't do the show without you. So that's why we have set up the subscription programs, because we need your support in order to run this show. Speaking of supporting the show, don't forget that the Bunkocast Overstock store is open and we had a close over the holidays. It's open again. This is where you could buy Mugglecast merch and help support the show. And we have an update. It's very cold in the Northern Hemisphere. So Mugglecast is helping you out this winter with the Mugglecast beanie and socks comfy, cozy combo pack. So purchase this new combo set for $25. It's cheaper than buying the socks and beanie separate. And you'll be warm on both ends of your muggle body for winter. I was on a cross-country road trip over our break. I went through the Rocky Mountains. That beanie was comfortable and kept my head warm as we were cruising at high altitudes and, uh, you know, spending a little time outside doing some stretching and all that. So check out the Comfy Cozy Pack, $25. Normally, these two items separately would be $35. If you buy the combo pack, they are together for $25 just in time for winter. By the way, Sam, one of our listeners, said of the socks, these are a unique gift for the MuggleCast fangirly, well-made socks with bright and bold colors. Ellie said the socks were so cute, comfy, and well-made. And then on the album art, which is also in our Overstock store, Jen Penn said, beautiful album art and happy for the autographs. So we've been getting some reviews of the products, which has been fun to read. I wonder if she got like Dobby or Hedwig. uh... (laughs) As well as uh, the four of us. Some album art comes with additional signatures. Yeah, from characters. <laughs> yeah, what do they call those collectors, right? They're they're even more special than the uh, the ones just signed by the four of us. You'll find a link in the show notes to the Oversock store. It's also mugglemillennial.etsy.com if you just want to type in the URL directly. So let's get to chapter by chapter. And this week we're discussing Goblet of Fire, chapter 10, Mayhem at the Ministry. And for the first time this year... Let's do our seven-word summary. Arthur laments over a problematic news cycle. Hey! That was perfect. That was perfect. Wonderful job, y'all. No notes. 
we're firing on all pistons at the start of 2024. I just want that on the record. <laughs> all pistons? What is this, 1940? Yes. I'm going to start speaking with a transatlantic accent. I can't actually do that, so I won't. Um, so getting right into this chapter, it picks up where we left off. Uh, curiously, I noted at the start of this chapter, everyone seems like they stayed overnight. I think I made the assumption at the end of the last chapter that maybe Arthur was trying to keep the kids close and not travel at night, but perhaps some other people left. No, apparently nobody left. Um, when they are leaving the following morning, it is a madhouse trying to get a port key. And I thought that it was so odd that nobody seemed to nope out the night before, like... <laughs> terror attack by wizard clansmen and everybody was like yeah it's fine we'll just sleep here and then we'll go home tomorrow what why should they let that ruin their good time <laughs> it would seem in situations such as this that it would have made sense to evacuate following the attack the space is unsafe as they like to say it's compromised yeah and any large event should have evacuation plans. I feel like that's pretty standard protocol. And it seems like the ministry was pretty prepared for all like tons of logistics around the travel and the arrival of wizards from all over the world. It does seem kind of shocking that there wasn't any kind of emergency contingency. Maybe they didn't want to let anybody out because they didn't want the culprit or culprits to escape. That's kind of standard procedure too. Yeah. In certain situations. But the but everybody can apparate <laughs> is the thing. Well, I, I think anyone who would likely be the culprit would potentially be capable of apparate. It is weird that like even some of the Weasleys who can apparate didn't at least go home to tell Molly everything was fine. Uh, because that become that comes an issue like in the morning as well. They could have, uh, I guess, maybe planned that a little bit better. And yeah, why did they stay? Why did they all kind of, why did they consent to submit to being in this long line for a port key? For the plot. Andrew, I think this sounds like a security nightmare. Starting to sound like a security nightmare. Security nightmare. Well, it's something for them to work on for the next Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. That's for indeed, sure. Indeed. Well, on their way to wait in the very lengthy port key line. Arthur and the family actually pass Mr. Roberts, the muggle that we chatted about last chapter, who had, you know, himself and his entire family completely traumatized by the Death Eaters. Um, and Mr. Roberts has yet again had his memory wiped to spare him the recollections of what happened to his family the prior night. It's August. Which is notable here. It's August, but he wishes everyone a happy Christmas as they walk by. And it's noted here, Arthur says, sometimes when a person's memory is modified, they'll be a bit disoriented for a while. And I was reading this and I was like, you think? You, you think the man's going to be disoriented? Y'all have been wiping his memory, you said two chapters ago, about 10 times a day. For two weeks, because that's how long yeah. campsite's been open. You've been wiping this guy's memory. You've wiped it 140 times. There is oh no way this man does not have neurological damage. Yeah. None whatsoever. It's really sad. So I wanted to ask y'all, actually, 
in this case, and I think it can be kind of a controversial question, was wiping the Roberts family's memories the right thing to do here with this? Like this particular time or just? Yeah, this particular time. (laughs) What's one more time? (laughs) To remove the trauma of what happened to them. Was it the right thing to do? I don't think they had much of a choice. They can't. In order to explain what happened to them, in order to make sense of it to them, they would have to break the statute of secrecy for starters. Yeah. To explain how they were lifted up, you know, basically telekinetically, but magically and tortured. So they don't have much of a choice. What really surprises me, though, is the fact that Mr. Roberts is still there quote-unquote working yeah. you would think yeah. that his entire family himself included would have been taken to saint mungo's for evaluation because presumably they're still gonna have to continue to wipe his memory as he's allowing all of these people to exit his campsite it's not no, like no. it stops at 140 there's probably a few other memory wipes that are gonna have to go yeah. on but i think for the the big trauma to Eric's point, I don't think you can't. I, I don't think you cannot wipe his memory, right? Like, if, if the problem is they've wiped it so many other times before on so many inconsequential things, yeah. So it just feels like yeah. they're they're taking it. They're taking as much advantage of him as the Death Eaters did, in a way. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the reason I wanted to bring this up, I think we alluded to it a little bit on our last episode, but trauma doesn't just live in the mind. It lives in the body. Right. So even if something traumatic happens and you just don't remember it for whatever reason, your body can very well remember it. So who knows what the Roberts family is going to go through over the course of the next several years as a result of this trauma, erasing their memories doesn't actually erase what happened to them. And it feels like a huge disservice that at the very least, there doesn't seem to have been any attempt to do like welfare checks on the Robertses. Like we never hear about them again. And we never hear about any sort of ministry efforts to do something like this. What about the pensive, Eric? You had an interesting point here. It's interesting because uh, we're right in the midway point of the series and there will be these points inevitably that we bring up of like, oh, um, something from the later books could have helped here. Well, this is something that uh, something from this book might have been able to help with regarding the pensive. The way that I believe Dumbledore describes it is that he uses the pensive to put memories, truly put memories out of his mind. And it helps him think better because a man like Dumbledore's got a ton of things to focus on and be rattling around in his brain all the time. I'm a busy man. Yeah. Presumably, <laughs> presumably then, when you put a memory in a pensive, you actually don't have that anymore. And would there have been, potentially is my question, the possibility to store the memory of last night for the Roberts family in to, to basically just to extract it? You don't even need a pensive. Just extract that memory and say goodbye. Let it float away. <laughs> Blow it away like a dandelion. <sighs> yeah. Uh, you know, is that something that a wizard could do to a muggle 
Or is it a little bit more complicated? Because then, you know, if that's possible, why are they even bothering with memory replacement, which is essentially what like a memory charm does is say nothing bad happened instead of something bad happened. Why aren't they using a pensive or using actual like memory extraction stuff? Well, first of all, it's presumably less abusive to use a pensive over and over again because we see wizards do it. And as far as I can remember, there's no like downsides. There's no really? impact. Like, Dumbledore looks constipated when he does it. <laughs> <laughs> or at but least that was the Michael Gambon expression. Side effects may include constipation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forgetfulness. See if yeah. Dolkalax is right for you. Um I, I do wonder if there's some sort of elitism going on here amongst ministry officials in determining when's the right time to use a pensive for muggles versus just obliviate, obliviating their memories. Because the pensive being able to extract a memory and still hold on to it, you can blow it away like a dandelion, but you can also just put it in the pensive. To be able to do that, that seems very special. And I can almost imagine officials at the ministry being like, you know what, we don't use that with muggles because we're going to be storing those memories. This is it's like a sacred privilege that we have and we're not just going to let anybody have it. So that's the only excuse I could come up with. <laughs> yeah, they also might, though, the, the magic of the pensive, as we're introduced to later in this very book, is that you can see those memories from different angles. And so they could actually use the Roberts family's memories as additional evidence, essentially, they could take a look at who's parading them through the streets. They could mm. see if they could identify some of the Death Eaters that came in the closest contact with the Roberts family. It actually seems like a huge potential in in trying to get the memories from the Muggles. So solving the crime. Well, yeah, yeah, like That's basically a... get like a de detective on it. Yeah, and Laura, I really like the fact that you brought up the point from the last episode about trauma not being what happens to you but what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you and meg pointed this out actually eric yes i was quoting uh dr gabor mate i'm not sure if folks are familiar with him but if they aren't they they should be because he's probably one of the best thinkers of of our time for sure and an expert on trauma um but in the case of the roberts is yeah i mean because if trauma was what just happened to them, then they wouldn't be able to go back and heal it because it would just be the event and the event happened and there's nothing you can do about the event. But presumably, they can heal what's happening inside of them. But if they can't recall why they're feeling that way, I think that's a major, major issue. And let's face it, I know I mentioned this before, but the ministry is sort of to blame here to start with for putting Mr. Roberts in this situation, putting his family in this situation yeah. to begin with, he he kind of, or they kind of served him up on a platter to the Death Eaters. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of goes to, Andrew, the point you just made a couple minutes ago about there being this level of elitism and superiority. Um, because we see throughout the series, even some of the characters who are the most well-intentioned, good people, characters we genuinely like, kind of look down their nose at muggles and see them yeah. as being less than. And, you know, that's how this is how it manifests. Right. Like this is the real world impact of that attitude. Right. You nailed it on the head there, Laura. They muggles are not seen as people. And so they aren't given the kind of uh treatment to Andrew's point as well. Elitism, I think that's exactly it too as well. It's like a muggle will just 
you have a memory charm, you know, two dozen times instead of actually using something a little bit more specialized. Yeah. Well, Eric, you yeah. mentioned that the pensive is uh, kind of an answer that exists in this book that could have been helpful here. But for something that comes along later in the series that could have been helpful here for Molly specifically is Patronus messaging. We find out as soon as uh, Mr. Weasley, Harry, Ron, Hermione at all get home that Mrs. Weasley has been frantically worrying. She can't find any evidence of them being alive or dead. She's freaking out. And as I was reading this, I was like, couldn't they send messages through their Patronuses? And then I was like, oh, wait, that's later. <laughs> that's one of yeah. those inventions that comes later in the series. I think it's the very next book, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. I think it's so it's within the next like three years of the writing process that we learn about it. And I'm pretty sure the author gave an interview within the next year of this book coming out, saying that certain members had something that was the equivalent of the Wizarding World's instant messaging. Uh, but it was not yet invented here, clearly, because Arthur right. surely would have used it to to set Molly at ease. And the other aspect of this is um, it would have been a really cool ring uh, composition moment because the final book has, obviously, Kingsley Shacklebolt's uh, Patronus message showing up yeah. at the burrow. And so we would have seen, you know, Arthur, we would have at least heard about Arthur sending one in books four and seven. So I'm glad we're bringing this up, though, because it is an interesting look behind the scenes of the development of the series overall. Clearly, there was a ton developed even within book one. The world building was fantastic. But still, there were some things that weren't invented until later chapters or books. So I think this is a really fun thing for us to point out from time to time. Yeah. I mean, in this chapter, uh, you know, Mayhem at the Ministry, Molly has been terrified all night. And for most of the morning, they kind of are slowly traipsing back to the burrow. And as soon as she sees them, as soon as she knows evidence that they're OK, she freaks out and goes out to meet them. I wonder when mm -hmm. she did find out exactly that something went awry I was thinking because that too. she she is clutching. I was just looking it up. The Daily Prophet when she comes in, when they come in. Um, so I would presume maybe the following morning she saw it through the paper mm -hmm. and they got very concerned because I was also kind of wondering, like, maybe Molly should have went to investigate herself. <laughs> yeah. Lazy. Wow. You know, that's, like, yeah, that's so interesting. I think the way I read it, I assumed that she had heard about it the evening before and was freaking out all night, but maybe not. Somebody we know that she she has a wireless. Check. She has a radio that she listens yeah. to, like, you know, the programs on at least Celestina Warbeck's Witching Hour. <laughs> Celestina comes on. Attack at the Quidditch World Cup. That's what I'm saying. How about we interrupt this broadcast to let you know that something horrible has happened to potentially to your loved ones? Like, that would absolutely make the cut. Yeah, and actually, I want to call out Hufflepuff's Badger in our Discord, pointing out that Molly can check the clock. Uh, we... We are reminded of the Weasleys' very special clock in this chapter that's actually one of our odds and ends um, that we're going to chat mm. about a little bit later. But yeah, presumably, 
uh, all of her children and her husband's <laughs> hands would have been pointing to mortal peril. <laughs> Sleep well. <laughs> For some period. Yeah, last night. You know, it's actually even worse to hear about it through the clock because then she's wondering What's why happening? are they are, are in mortal peril? Yeah. And the question would be when it first clicks over to mortal peril, is there an alarm of some sort that goes off where she would be notified? Because that's, you know, it's not like you're going to work or Hogwarts or something like that. Like, it's pretty serious stuff. It, it makes the sound effect of our foreshadow alert. Both are equally pressing uh, <laughs> yeah. sounds. I don't know if I would want this clock. It's almost like having access to too many people in the Find My app on iPhone. It's like you oh start wondering God. why they're in certain places if you get bored and start looking at people. It's the early version of Be Real. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then Molly sends, uh, you know, in book five, starting at book five, she sends Patronus instant messages to be like, oh, I see that you're in mortal peril. What's, What's going, going on? on? <laughs> I'm 12 drinks in at the Hogshead, Mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I just want to bring up mortal peril. Eric, yeah. what you said earlier, which I think is worth reemphasizing that not one Weasley went home. I mean, they have a pretty big contingent at the Quidditch World Cup, and Percy, Bill, and Charlie can all apparate by themselves. Mm. Right. Presumably, Bill and Charlie can apparate long distances without any issue. Percy might be a little bit too early on in his uh, training, but sure. Bill or Charlie could have gone home and, and made sure Molly was not freaking out. So shame on them. But shame on okay. them. Yeah, kids. yeah. Um, well, we're going to chat about Rita Skeeter and journalism here in a moment, but just to kind of tie a bow on this sort of aftermath theme of this chapter, towards the end of the chapter, Harry finally does tell Ron and Hermione about his scar hurting and his dream from chapter one. So how how did we take kind of Ron's and Hermione's reactions to that? It seems like they reacted just in the way that Harry predicted they would. I, I liked reading that uh, part of it where Harry's like, because at the beginning of the book, it opens up and says, well, what would Ron say? What would Hermione say? And he, <laughs> like Harry replays the whole thing. And like to see that actually play out is satisfying. It's like, oh, Harry knows his friends. Um, but what I liked in particular was Jim Dale's reading of uh, Harry asking Molly uh, if Hedwig, like, have we gotten anything from Hedwig? And she says, Hedwig, no. And then a minute, a moment later, Harry's like, uh, Ron, okay, if we put something in your room and Ron's like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go up there. Hermione, do you want to come too? It's just so not subtle that like something has occurred that they need to discuss, but it's, it's funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Molly is probably too distraught and exhausted at this point to really pick up on it. I think normally she would. Mm hmm. Think about how quick she is to get on the kids anytime they're doing something that she thinks they shouldn't be doing. So Hermione is situationally aware in this chapter. I mean, she is a lot throughout the series, but it really does come through in this chapter because she's also the one who makes Mrs. Weasley a strong cup of tea after they all arrive home. Mm. And, you know, like, I don't know that necessarily that's something a 14 year old would would look to do right like she's she's oh no being a bit of a caretaker and that's kind of how she's behaving at the end of this chapter too with harry saying well maybe we should all go to bed because it's been a long night 
Yeah. But I also understood yeah. Harry's perspective here being like, no, I do want to play Quidditch, actually. Because, like, <laughs> he just wants to blow off some steam. Like, you know, sometimes you want to go for a run after a hard day or um, you want to hit the yeah. gym and pump some iron after a hard Bro. day. People use that as a way to to get out, you know, any pent up energy or anger and then they feel good mm-hmm. after. Otherwise, oh, maybe in Harry's situation, he'd be staying up all night worrying about the events of the past 24 hours he needed to let out some steam yeah 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 that's, that's probably right well i i just appreciate hermione for her emotional intelligence to micah's point too and like it's not a bad suggestion to sleep it's just that it's not the yeah. right suggestion for harry in that moment mm-hmm. um and actually discussing this with meg she had a really great point which was that ron suggesting harry you know play Quidditch to uh, ease his tension, which is what works, showcases how well Ron knows Harry and may be a foreshadowing of Harry being about to lose Ron, unfortunately, because when when Harry only has Hermione to sort of regulate his mood and as a friend later in this book, when Harry and Ron have their falling out, Harry finds it insufficient and it's, it's like they go to the library a lot more and Harry begins to miss Ron. Ron knows him. Much better, I think, in moments of need than than Hermione does, unfortunately. Like Ron knows best in this moment. That's a great point. So looking towards the other half of this discussion, we're really going to focus on Rita Skeeter, unethical journalism and ministry blunders. <laughs> so <laughs> in the wake of terror at the Quidditch World Cup, this chapter introduces us to the wizarding world equivalent of a gossip journalist named Rita Skeeter. Um, we are going to recap um, a little bit on what we know about Rita as people who've read the entire series, because I think it'll really help us better analyze her contributions to the book as we're reading through. So just a reminder that Rita's ability to acquire information is aided very significantly by her being an unregistered animagus. She is a beetle. Um, This is perfect setup because we just read all about unregistered animagi in Prisoner of Azkaban. So this one's kind of hiding in plain sight, literally several times throughout this story. Um, so I thought that we could keep like a Rita count, like a beetle count oh, boy. throughout the book of, of all the times that she's spying or turning up as a beetle. I can only think of maybe one or two examples that I remember. So I'm pretty excited to come across the others because I know there are a few. Yeah, that's a fun idea. One thing that I noticed when reading this area, Arthur uses the word ferreting when talking about Rita. And I'm wondering if the use of that word by the author was almost meant as foreshadowing the Animagus revelation about Rita. The quote from Arthur is, Rita Skeeter's been ferreting around all week looking for more ministry mess-ups to report. I just thought it was kind of interesting because of what we later learn about her. I know ferreting is a sort of common word, but, uh, or phrase, but. And it feels very British, too, to say, oh, she was Mm. ferreting around, you know, so. It is, but I think you could do a double reading of it. I'm always looking out for foreshadowing in these books, so I, I kind of read it as 
his commentary on the type of reporter she is and the type of mm-hmm. news that she likes to write about. And that's why he used the ferreting in this case. Yeah. I mean, there's a skill level attached to uh, ferret being able to sneak in and out and yeah. uh, retrieve something too. So it's not not necessarily a compliment in some ways. Yeah. I mean, there. to your point, there is skill there. We maybe don't like the skill, but if you're being objective about it, it is there. I mean, Rita is super cunning. Yeah. Well, given that um, we will find out towards the end of the book that she is this unregistered animagist, she's a beetle, I thought we could talk a little bit about what beetles represent socially, historically. And I wanted to start with certain biblical translations. Um, so I'll just sort of preface this by saying that uh, I, my biblical knowledge is somewhat limited. I was not sort of raised in that context. So I'm I'm interested to hear from people who maybe were, um, you know, whether that's y'all or whether that's listeners, but certain translations have historically referred to the plagues in the book of Exodus as uh, plagues of a grievous beetle instead of locusts. Um, I think that kind of interpretation or translation is to be expected of something as old as a religious text. Um, But there are other significant cultural examples of what beetles represent. I think what's really interesting is the role they play uh, environmentally. They actually play a really important role preserving our planet by recycling filth, a.k.a. poop, (laughs) <laughs> to keep the earth clean. We don't have a real world poop mountain, but we do absolutely have real world beetles there Dung performing beetles. in this. Nor do we have Evanesco. Yeah. Yep. They're just out there rolling that poop around. Dung beetles, very hard to catch in Animal Crossing, by the way. Oh. Right, Andrew? Oh, yeah. They're not easy. Probably in real life, too, to be honest. But you're also bringing this up about recycling filth, Laura, because of her being a gossip columnist. Yeah, Yeah. right. Exactly. And listen, I'm going to get to this point here in a couple of minutes, but there there can be some value to that, depending on timing and whatnot. Mm. Um, Some cultures view beetles as being signs of good fortune and rebirth, right? Because again, they're recycling Um, sort of the, the filth of the world and making it into something positive. Um, others view them as unclean, probably for the same reason. They're just thinking about the poop differently and even as symbols of evil or bad luck. So I think these are all things that we can connect to Rita in various ways. So I would like us to just keep this in the back of our mind. As we read through this book and as we get to know her a little more, um, we're also going to find out that she was a journalist during the first Wizarding War. And we'll see her later in the book in the Pensieve sequence where Barty Crouch Jr. or where that reveal about Barty Crouch Jr. being a Death Eater is made. 
Um, she's written a couple of biographies. She wrote one about former headmaster Armand, Armando Dippet, titled Armando Dippet, Master or Moron. And of course, as we all know, she later went on to write The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. She's just so, doing the headmasters. She's just biographing. Yeah. She's the very well-respected lead biographer for Hogwarts headmasters, apparently. Yeah. She's the Walter Isaacson of the Wizarding World. He wrote about (laughs) Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, many others. There you go. (laughs) Uh, I feel it. I mean, I'll be fair. I did not read either of those books, Andrew. Were they gossipy or were they actual (laughs) legitimate works of nonfiction literature? I did not read the Elon one. I do not want to read the Elon one. I did read the Steve Jobs one. It was good. Actually, you know, speaking about um, gossipy type of info, I've been hearing about the Elon one is uh, there are a bunch of inaccuracies in it, apparently. Mm -hmm. So maybe he is kind of like Rita. (laughs) Well, what do we think of kind of, and this is obviously very high level, but when we're talking about what... There it is. Micah found it in his library. Sorry, the Steve Jobs <laughs> Micah's book. library has everything in it. <laughs> this is impressive. It's Micah's Magic Library is the yeah. series Aww. that I want to see coming to HBO Max. Please Patreon. do. For our listeners, he just showed off the Steve Jobs one on his camera. <laughs> but what do we think of this representation of Rita as a beetle? Uh, and these are obviously high level examples of what beetles can represent. Oh, I, I love the examples that you brought up. The recycling filth one in particular, just kind of like regurgitating, but also bending the truth, w- which we see Rita do quite mm-hmm. a bit. But I also think about how I feel about beetles. They're ugly. They're hard looking. Not to say Rita's ugly, but they're they they just put you off. Mm. They're hard looking, mean looking insects. And I think these are a couple other reasons why she, uh, her animagus may have been a beetle. I don't think they're ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think Rita's ugly. I mean, Rita's, yeah, she's no, no, a good no, looking I, lady for the record. I know you're but. not. I know you're not saying that. Also, just like shout out to Miranda Richardson, who was she was awesome, the Amazing. perfect casting. Yeah. She was, yeah. yeah, in this role. I was looking in the Discord and Legalized Gillyweed mentioned that her personal headcanon is that Rita's Animagus is a beetle as a nod to the Beatles' lovely Rita. You know, Rita Skeeter, Meter Oh, oh interesting. Oh, that's fun. Lovely I love that. Rita. Rita so we can probably get an orchestral version of that so we don't get, you know, copyright infringement oh. if we want to use that as the sound effect. I'll look it up for you, Andrew. Don't for worry. For the beetle catch. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I'll just say I think beetles uh, are actually really pretty. We had Japanese beetles, I think, in our backyard. Um, and just their colors just always blew me away. Um, and uh, but okay, I guys, did, I well, <laughs> and did you know they use? It's actually been scientifically proven that dung beetles use the stars to navigate. That's cool. Wow. Uh, all right, but they're still really scary. It's insane. It's insane. It's insane. The meaning that I always took away from Harry Potter was this idea that you would call a journalist an insect. Uh, she mm-hmm. waddles around in the filth, and she's an insect because she's so beneath us, or she's not, you know, deserving of full human respect, or whatever, whatever, whatever. whatever. That's what I always thought it meant, and not anything deeper. But it's always satisfying to go into this kind of stuff because the more you think about it too, like recycling information and some of this other stuff is really compelling. I must admit. 
it's it, it's obvious why she chooses it because it also allows her to just get into places and situations that mm-hmm. anybody else otherwise would wouldn't have the ability to but i'm also interested from the standpoint of the beetle can be killed very easily and especially thinking about how common it is for people to swat bugs was she never concerned that somebody wasn't just not going to be like boom and rita's gone (laughs) or capture her in a glass jar well that's coming later (laughs) i bet she's constantly worried about that after the events of this book yeah it's it's a good thought but you know like if you're serious you're a dog right if you're james you're a stat like you're intimidating if you're small you're easy to conceal it's easy to sneak around whereas if you're a dog it's not easy to sneak around and yeah i know but what if trevor ate her yeah well i guess you got to keep your distance from any i guess that's part of the foes yeah you got to be smart there's no perfect solution i suppose unless you're just invisible and i you know i think she's being portrayed as the type of journalist who will do anything for the story Right. And that extends to this, to potentially compromising her own safety, which a lot of journalists in the real world do all the time. Journalists that are way better than Rita. Um, But speaking of Rita, she is creating some work headaches for Arthur and Percy in the days following the Quidditch World Cup. Um, So they're both having to put in long hours at work because of her sensationalist reporting about the terroristic events of the Quidditch World Cup. And it is noted fairly early on in discussions of Rita Skeeter, I think it's Bill, who says, Rita Skeeter never makes anyone look good. So that's kind of the first, I think, real introduction that we get to her as a character is this depiction of her being just the kind of journalist that is never going to print anything nice about anybody. That's not, I mean, in addition to her putting herself in danger by being a beetle and maybe mm-hmm. being stepped on we were just talking about she's also not making any friends this way her st- her chosen style of journalism does put her i think at further risk uh because she really doesn't have anything nice to say I, you know and this is sensationalized journalism rita obviously represents a much larger but very real concept and something that we in, in Britain, the tabloid situation uh, for many decades has been way out of hand, even more so than it has been in other places of the world. Uh, so a sensationalizing journalist who's unafraid to make things entirely up, has no ethics, uh, is a very important character, I guess, to showcase in this sort of as this uh, politicking yeah. is going on. I'm glad you said that, though, because. This also continues to world build for us. And we've talked about that a lot at the start of this book. And of course, we've heard of the Daily Prophet before, but now we're introduced to an actual quote unquote journalist in Rita Skeeter. And we start to see Mm -hmm. how the media plays a role within the wizarding world through her as a character and through comments like, Bill makes about her, right? How the media is perceived, how certain journalists are perceived. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but um, just wanted to bring that up. And 
Laura, I was thinking about this because I know we often talk about work, but Arthur, like he he pulls one of those situations where the next day he's like, I got to go to work, got to go to work, you know, like, and Molly's saying <laughs> mm-hmm. to him, no, like, honey, relax, take a day. You were in a very stressful situation. And we've all been there. We're like, no, I got to go. I got to go to work. Mm-hmm. And Percy, of course. Well, especially too. if you feel like you're the one who messed up. Which Arthur does. Mm-hmm. Whether there's any merit to him feeling that way is, you know, another conversation. But sure. he he is the unnamed ministry official who gives Rita a quote that is then used in this article that's really just intended to slander the ministry and point out, I think, some of the same criticisms that we've had of them over the course of this event. So Arthur feels responsible. And he enjoys his job, right? So this is like a unique opportunity for him. Like, I know it's hard. I know it sucks. I know it's stressing him out. But he also feels like this is my time to shine in a way. Like, I'm going to get involved mm. in this situation and and yeah. help resolve it. But it's not his department. He should stay in his lane. It is, <laughs> you know, it is, it is kind of, though, company culture. Right. When you feel that loyalty, that that, that, the loyalty to the system, you know, essentially. And that is Arthur. He's a company man. Uh, You know, so clearly a workaholic if he wants to keep going. Well, there's that as well. Um, But yeah, he feels personally responsible. And even if he weren't, uh, you know, like not mentioned by name, but quoted anyway in, in a in a profit article. It is sort of this culture of all hands on deck at the ministry because they need as many people as they can get to run interference, basically, now that the journalism uh, aspect is becoming a problem. Yeah. And Rita really adds fuel to the fire uh, by noting that several bodies were (laughs) removed from the woods after the dark mark was cast. And, (sighs) you know, we don't we didn't see anything in the last chapter to substantiate those claims at all. So this is just, this is Rita writing what she thinks it is people want to read. And she goes into that philosophy a little later in the book when we meet her. This is where she crosses the line to me. This is just straight up fake news. She knows there's no bodies, but posting, oh, the rumors of the bodies it's it's actually irresponsible. It's sensationalist journalism, but the clickbait. story is sensational. It's clickbait. Without the story is sensational without her making this stuff up. Mm-hmm. And so it for me, it's where she fails the integrity test is stoking those fears of bodies and starting just straight up lying. I'm sorry, there's exaggeration and there's lying. The bodies coming out of the woods, that's a lie. Well, and she's shielding herself too. It's the same thing that you see in gossip magazines. You'll see these allusions to rumors or friends of X person have said, and it's like, well, th- this isn't a real thing. This is just something that you're printing to sell copies. Well, but also, you, can't, you can't state it as a fact, so you're going to say it's a rumor. Also, uh, her higher ups at the Daily Prophet are to blame here as well. They should be asking, well, who are your sources? Bodies? I mean, that's a bold claim to make, saying that bodies were pulled out. Right. I mean, she needs an editor. 
to right. be like, you can't say this without like you need to, you know, give and up. And presumably your she has one, but they're letting this go too. So the da- daily profit is very irresponsible as well. Yeah, that's a good if Rita has an editor, they're as morally bankrupt as she is <laughs> because yeah. the stuff she gets away with this whole year is insane. Yeah. Hey, it sells it, what is it? What's the saying? If no it bleeds, is, it leads. If it bleeds, it leads. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, well, and bad news is good news or all news is whatever. That. Everybody listening, watch your local news tonight on television. What's the first story <laughs> they feature? Somebody getting killed in, in yeah. your city. And unfortunately, you know, it's indicative of a larger problem in this country. But it's if it bleeds, it leads. That's what gets people's attention right at the top. Man. Yeah. We can give Rita a little bit of credit here because Arthur also mentions that part of the damage control, part of the interference that he's having to run is because due to all of Rita's buzzing around over the last few days because of these events, she found out about Bertha Jorgen's disappearance. Credit where credit's due. Was she ethical about how she did it? Absolutely not. But is this a case where Rita's particular style of journalism, lacking in integrity though it is, is doing a an actual public service? Well, look, I, I think there's very important points that even that Rita does make, like the things she says about there being lax security and a national disgrace that the Death Eaters got to parade around. She's not wrong. That's absolutely 100% dark wizards running unchecked, quote unquote. Absolutely. That's exactly what happened. Um, You know, so I don't think that they're, we cannot fault her for saying some things because they're absolutely true and fair. And people should be questioning the government when a blunder like this happens or when somebody like Bertha Jorkins disappears. The fact that he, uh, meaning um, Bagman, uh, is outed in this chapter as not having done any searching because Percy alludes to the fact he's like, I told you know Bagman to do this in searching. The fact that he hasn't, good, because they have done, everyone has failed Bertha Jorkins. And Rita Skeeter, it just takes somebody like her to be like, this is a nightmare. And is she exaggerating? Actually, this case, no, it's a nightmare. In some ways, she is the much-needed voice for critical Harry Potter podcasters like us. (laughs) We're out here making these accusations against the ministry and the wizarding world and all the issues. Mm. You know, we we can't criticize her. We'd be uh, throwing rocks in a glass house. Wow. We stand with Rita here at MuggleCast. Lack security. (laughs) So you agree that she saw Dumbledore for who he was? I didn't say that. Oh. <laughs> is this how you want to start the year, Micah? Is this, how, you know. <laughs> well, she wrote a book. I must admit that I do have the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore, Mina the Mina Lima print framed in my home. So, uh, yes, actually, Micah, I am saying that. <laughs> Whoa. Andrew, you spent all of 2023 touching grass, and now you're starting out 2024 saying that Dumbledore is a liar and a fraud. I can't believe it. No, I still need I need to stand with all my Dumbledore fans who listen <laughs> to the show. put him in a corner here. He's in a corner. Don't worry. I won't let you down. I'll burn that print for Mina Lima tonight. Oh I mean, it was God. several hundred dollars, but I'll burn it for you Just... all in solidarity. <laughs> There has to be an alternative. It's signed by them. Please don't. I will say it is nice to see somebody challenging the ministry, just given how much we've seen 
and will see the Daily Prophet be a mouthpiece for them, thinking as we move well, forward in this exactly, book and its Order of the Phoenix. Exactly. I, I think the real solution here is just to have more journalists. Like, I mean, Rita's like the only journalist we ever meet, and she goes way off the deep end. But that's not a reason to say we shouldn't have any journalists, right? And this, to your point, Mike, of like somebody challenging the ministry, absolutely. But somebody should also be out there. Another journalist should be challenging Rita. Another, there should be two at, at minimum uh, investigative sensationalist journalisms given equal bylines uh, in the Daily Prophet where you can read the perspective of more than one person and hopefully, hope to God, hope to Merlin they hire somebody with more integrity. But if there was just somebody else out there doing the work that Rita is doing, she would be forced to kind of toe some line or be more of like the middle ground or people would appreciate her eccentricities because they would never venture into that territory of utterly absurd, or she would lose viewers to the person that was doing the more balanced, level-headed stuff. So, like, this is a situation where more competition would breed, uh, you know, better, I think, moral ground. I hope so, but honestly, people love sensationalism. I mean, look at our own media, right? I, I mean, you see some of the most sensational lies being, you know, the outlets that get the most attention, um, the most sort of viewership, readership, what have you. And I think that's exactly what Rita's meant to represent here. Presumably, there are other journalists who work at the Daily Prophet. We just don't hear about them. Yeah. This also ties into what we were talking about a few minutes ago with Rita being allowed to publish that bodies may have been pulled out of the forest. In a way, the fact that that got through was a canary in the coal mine for what we would later learn to be more corruption at the Daily Prophet. Yeah. Right. And I would True. say the biggest challenge, Eric, to Rita is, of course, Xenophilius and the Quibbler. But the issue there is that they're not taken seriously for their journalism. They're just seen as mm -hmm. crackpot. Well, and Xenophilius is unhinged. Yeah. Yeah. But there is truth in in some of what he writes, right? Yeah. A smidge. It's just, you're right. But there's nobody in-house. Like the United States used to have something called the Fairness Doctrine. And it required investigative stuff like this, matters of public interest, to be given broadcast time for both you know, sides of an argument. And Rita Skeeter instead is able to run roughshod, any, publish anything that she wants, presumably without any level of needing to censor herself. And this is what allows her, you know, as the book goes on to relentlessly like smear Hermione uh, and all of the other crazy things that happen throughout the year. So it's all because nobody is really making sure that there's any kind of level or balanced or reasonable thing being in the print media. Yeah. I think she's also a representation of the British tabloids, um, which, you know, are a whole different level of gossip journalism um, that I think uh, based on events of like the last 10 years or so, I think we're all pretty familiar with. But British tabloids can be particularly vicious. And I really think particularly with regard to how Rita treats Hermione, 
in turning her into a villain, I think that is uh, that's her place here. And unfortunately, in this story, the ministry is rubbing shoulders a little too closely with the Daily Prophet as the series goes on. Something I thought was interesting about Rita and now thinking about Molly is that Molly clearly recognizes that Rita Skeeter is a hack in this chapter. She tells Arthur, you know, not to let this woman ruin whatever time off you have. She's a hack. I forget exactly how she referred to her, but it's clear that Molly has no love for Rita Skeeter. But then later on in the book, she laps up everything Rita says about Hermione and treats her horribly. I thought that this was so interesting, and I was wondering why we think that is. I think that Rita's comments negatively trigger Molly's mother instinct for Harry. And it's mm. one of the few subjects, as one of the few ways to get Molly to turn on anybody, is to make her think that one of her sons is being abused. Um, that's the only way that that this person could appeal to Molly, but because people who believe something unpopular need that verification. They need to believe that they're good people. She then switches over and is like, no, Rita Skeeter. Like, she, There's no thought to it because she's like, she needs to justify uh, protecting Harry at all costs. So she ne- she's now going to believe this person that previously she wouldn't have given you know, two inches to. Yeah, Harry is sort of her North Star. So I like your point that you're bringing up about gotta protect harry at all costs i wonder if she's also carried a little disdain for hermione maybe in the background maybe and now some of that's being brought to the forefront with rita's reporting you know it occurs to me what what you were saying laura a moment ago about rita skeeter being um in like against the ministry but in the, the, the daily prophet in the future like always being the mouthpiece of the ministry i think what changed at the end of this book is when you'd you'd usually have somebody like rita calling things out and being negative about the ministry, that's when Hermione has captured her. And so Hermione might actually negatively impact the future of the wizarding world because by removing Rita from the equation, the only people publishing at the Daily Prophet are the ones that are going to say what the ministry wants them to say and not somebody like Rita who probably would have found something unpopular to say government-wise. Yeah, I wonder how long they would have kept her on as a reporter at the Daily Prophet. I I can definitely see them parting ways with anyone who doesn't toe the line, but it's a good point. Yeah. That not having Rita's voice out there, and it's unfortunate too, because I think we're establishing that she has her moments where she's right, but she's not she's not leading with the being right. She's not leading with doing the right thing. She's not leading with the ethics of it. She's leading with salacious details, Mm -hmm. juicy stories, um, hot goss, as the kids say. And that just kind of, I think, removes any validity from anything she brings to the table, right? She doesn't care about Bertha Jorkins. Yeah. It's it's just a juicy story. You know, um, incompetent, ministry official loses one of his department members for four months, (laughs) doesn't report it. You know, that's really what she's looking for. 
Yeah. So obviously we, I think we've touched on this quite a bit. We're all pretty familiar with the real world consequences of this brand of journalism. Clearly, media literacy is as much a problem in the wizarding world as it is in the muggle world. So I wanted to ask um, for an honesty moment. This is a safe space, everyone. But uh, have any of us ever been caught up in following salacious gossip based reporting? Oh, following. I At have. first I read I read I read this as has anybody been like reported on <laughs> the gossip oh, rags or something? No, no, no. Well, the reason my mind I mean, I know you have, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. So briefly I'll just yeah, to answer your actual yes to question, both for Laura. Andrew. Yeah, some gossip is fun to read. Like, I used to be really into, like, PerezHilton.com, and I still enjoy reading TMZ, even though I I believe it or not, I I find a lot of that actually fact-based. But a lot of people might not know, there was actually a gossip rag for the Harry Potter fandom called the Acid Quill. And this was a real thing that two people were running. I later found out who wrote it. Years and years later, I found out who who wrote it, slash was running it. But they were reporting... (laughs) quote unquote reporting on (laughs) things that were happening at like fandom events and there was some reporting on me at one point i'm sure y'all were mentioned at uh, other points not me no i I was not well i was was not just angels aren't you yes we are and that's the point (laughs) no but it was uh it it didn't report anything bad about about what i was up to but it, it was it was a little spooky because somebody, you know, information was being leaked and it was uh, mm. they later apologized for it. They were kind of teenagers who were doing it, who were. Yeah, it was creepy, though, because they yeah. managed to get pictures of people at parties that were like not <laughs> open and not just Andrew. I mean, other, you know, prominent figures in the Harry Potter fandom were being written about and gossiped about. It was wild <laughs> yeah the details were what were disturbing me i can't say i remember yeah. any photos but it was uh it was a, uh, it was rough i didn't oh like do it. you remember how they would get people's aim transcripts <laughs> no i don't remember that <laughs> wow i remember that that was awful anyway I, w- I wonder if i can recruit them to get mine and emerson's old aim transcripts uh for me because i miss those conversations oh, yeah you mean, away messages and did you have a bunch of fights with him over aim because i Never. think everybody did oh well probably not i mean our, i'm pretty sure it was like hey and three days later it was like hey how's it going not bad just read a book a day something something you know love my hat thank you thank you thank you sir. go irish <laughs> Um, well, I, I, I will say that I have definitely found myself getting caught up in this kind of journalism. Um, and it's not even necessarily journalism as it relates to like celebrities or pop culture. I have definitely found myself following certain political stories where there's a gossip angle probably a little more closely than I should have, especially if it was somebody that I didn't like just, just being totally real with y'all. I like, yeah, it's human. I've done it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, and definitely this uh, sense of closeness or like, you know, like you personally know somebody who's a celebrity or a government official is a very attractive uh, failing of the human race. Uh, you know, a psychological thing that we do uh, that it brings us joy to feel close to the Kardashians. It makes us feel like we 
you know, we either live vicariously through something or we hate watch their relationship tank or there's a lot of like this socio, there's a lot of social aspects to the psychology behind why this kind of news that Rita Skeeter is putting sells. And so to your point, Laura, I think, yeah, it is it is totally normal. Uh, it's certainly prevalent and it is a lot in the real world. People naturally mm-hmm. want to uh, people naturally enjoy watching a train wreck. That's, you know, we, yeah. we love this. Yeah. We like Give watching me the tea. The Give F- me all the tea. F- all the well, yeah. I also think and in that-, that way, we're not so different from wizards. Right. Wow. That's true. <laughs> but I, I think we subscribe to forms of media that fit our belief systems but that doesn't always mm. mean yeah, that yeah. those forms of media are truthful and i think you have to look really hard to find unbiased journalism i think it, it you, you may not find it anywhere to be quite candid True. right because there's always so, some personal element that's factored into what that particular story is whether bias. that yeah, it's 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 probably an unconscious bias on some level, but um, and I was thinking specifically. I mean, yes, it could be very easy for me to sit here and say, yeah, Fox News, fair and balanced. Yeah, right. But I was thinking more so in this case of the New York Times, right? Um, their their tagline is all the news that's fit to print, but isn't that just them printing the news that they see fit to print? Because there's plenty yes. of other news out there. Um, so I thought, right. I, I thought I would in the Washington post. You, and, yeah. Yeah. I think that's it is like the, the, like Washington post too, as well had to disclose, I think at a certain point, the disclaimer of like who owns them. Right. And there's, when you have these major, major, major news conglomerates being owned by corporations, you're not getting unbiased news. Uh, right. and, and you're getting the most, uh, politically, uh, appropriate, news that's a politically appropriate for the company that owns that news outlet and don't kid yourself that there's anything other than that happening so the daily profit being the wizarding world only real established source of news that we see uh is a huge problem uh just because again there's none of that competition going on there's none of that desire for truthfulness um yeah that's such a great point so follow MuggleCast on Truth Social. Uh, we're starting. <laughs> yeah, everything Your unbiased we say, news source. You yeah. totally believe. If we if we did that, I would quit the show. <laughs> I would quit the show too. Oh man. Um. Anything else uh, apart from? I'll just say this, y'all. Read your local news. You're going to get a lot of really good reporting out of your local news. Local news goes very underappreciated. And read multiple sources. Yes. Yeah, oh my media gosh. literacy, right? Is like, please so have important. some. One of yeah. the, my favorite classes I took in college, media literacy. And I was actually just reading earlier mm-hmm. today, states are slowly but surely starting to co- require media literacy classes. And to be clear, that's <laughs> understanding how to, um, you know, check sources, make sure you're getting the right information, understanding what might be happening behind the scenes at media outlets, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Important class. Yeah, too little, too late. Some might say, <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, um, 
let's move into some odds and ends. So I wanted to give Mundugas Fletcher a shout out. He gets briefly mentioned in this chapter. He's trying to commit, I think, the wizarding world equivalent of insurance fraud. (laughs) He's trying to get uh, the ministry to reimburse him for a much more exquisite tent than what he had, which was described as like a coat propped up on a few sticks. sticks. Yeah. Yep, and he wants a twelve-bedroom ensuite with jacuzzi. Fraud. Yeah, yeah, fraud. It's fraud. But uh, for maybe first mention of Mundogan's Fletcher. Yeah, I think so. Oh, Ron also receives those horrid, horrid dress robes that are on his school list and yeah. uh, featured as a featured as a bonus outfit in Hogwarts Legacy. Yes, oh, it, yeah. is. it is. But Mrs. Weasley really doesn't do Ron any favors here. And, you know, in the movie, we hear that these robes were, you know, hand-me-downs from somebody in his family, but it actually sounds like these were purchased most likely at a secondhand store. But Ron is kind of the runt of the litter and he ends up with all the hand-me-downs. We look at Scabbers, his first wand, And I was just thinking to myself, both Bill and Charlie are employed. They couldn't help Ron out from time to time with some nice Um, things. Well, and also Harry says he wishes he could give the Weasleys half his fortune. Why not just buy Ron a new new dress robe set? He could. He could. He could. 100%. Especially given everything that the Weasleys do for him. Right? Yeah. And Molly doesn't have to know. Yeah, I think he would if they would let him. This put Ron in a really bad situation, or will put Ron in a really bad situation. You know, when he gets it in the movie, it's in front of everybody in the Great Hall. And he makes the joke that it must be for Ginny. And Ginny's like, no, it's actually for you. And everybody laughs at him. (laughs) And then he looks terrible when he goes to the Yule Ball. You know, like, I just feel like Molly could have a little bit more care when it comes to Ron. What? I forget where I saw this point too, but Molly could sew something. She could fix it herself. Uh, you know, she could get rid of some of that lace, maybe take it in a little bit, make it a little bit more masculine presenting um, instead of embarrassing Ron and then insulting uh, him saying if he runs around naked, it would be a sight to see. It's like <laughs> unbelievable. But I could use a laugh. Ron leaves this chapter on on such a down note. I mean, Pigwidgeon takes that exact moment to like start choking on a biscuit or like their food or something. And he's like, why is everything I own rubbish? Because he probably realized how bad that thing looked too. I know. Probably. And that was the closing line of the chapter. Why is everything I own rubbish? It was quite the downer of a way to end the chapter. Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, if I were him, I would just take my regular school robes and ask one of the professors to just change the color mm-hmm. of the robes because harry's robes are described as just looking like his school robes but they're emerald green yeah you know yeah i Seems mean or, like there could be some magic work well they're fourth years at this point they should be able yeah. to alter garments themselves change the right. color of this thing like come on that seems pretty easy right um it's just to, to your point about uh hand-me-downs too and like bill and charlie like Maybe none of them ever had dress robes that they could just give Ron, and that speaks to the uniqueness of the Yule Ball, which is not being mentioned yet. Like, there's been no call for formal school robes, 
at Hogwarts in possibly the entire time that since like before Bill and Charlie went to Hogwarts. So it's actually a, a big deal that's masquerading as like it's where the only talk we get of it is Ron's disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. But they could have bought yeah. him robes. Yeah. It's fair. They're both cool. Like they, they could find something suitable. Yeah. You're telling me Bill Weasley doesn't have a formal locations, uh, you know, formal wear. Like you could just lo- loan Ron. Like, I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Moving on here, Harry reminds Ron and Hermione and the reader of Trelawney's prophecy from the end of Prisoner of Azkaban about Mm -hmm. the Dark Lord's Mm -hmm. servant returning to him and Dark Lord will rise once again. Um, So again, another really nice um, connection to Prisoner of Azkaban from this um, early point in Goblet of Fire. We know that Fred and George are noted as quietly working on something. We don't yet know what it is. And Molly's already talking smack I on know. Weasley Wizard Wheezes, which which kills me because this was right after saying she regretted her final words to the boys about their OWLs before the Quidditch World Cup. And now she's already back to her old ways. Did you not learn anything? I thought you did. You were a wreck. You were like, oh, my God, I can't believe the last time I had saw you, be- seen you before the Quidditch World Cup, I, I said something bad. And now here she goes saying something well, bad they, again. They, to their credit, they call her out on exactly yeah. that. Um, and she even laughs. Also, well, she, but she knows that they're persistent. And that's the best and worst quality of the Weasley twins is mm-hmm. their persistence. And so they very well could be up to something negative. We know they're not. Uh, they're trying to draft a letter. But. You know, they could very well be printing up more order forms. Mm-hmm. And and along these lines, I know I'm always the one that gets called out for, for being a savage. But Eric, actually, you shared a transcript very recently, episode 210, when we last discussed this very chapter. Laura, to, the, to this very point, said, yep, she'll be regretting that one in three years. <laughs> so Listen, it's the Ravenclaw you know, blood, the sarcasm. It is. It is. It's there. But, you know, I I feel like I, I don't know. I feel like I've become more subtle (laughs) 19 (laughs) years later. (laughs) Yeah. You're not in it for the shock value anymore. No, I'm not. I'm not. I was Rita Skeeter back then. How long was that episode ago? Like 13 years, you said? Yeah, 13 years, two months. And then finally here, Hermione thinks that it's lucky that Rita hasn't found out how Crouch treats his house elves in response to uh, learning that she has found out about Bertha Jorgens. Hermione's like, oh, well, he's lucky. You know, Crouch is lucky that she hasn't found out how he treats house elves. And I think what Hermione's missing here is that the sad reality is that this treatment is so commonly accepted that it would never create the necessary shock to sell papers and thus would not be reported on. Yeah. I think that's more of a conversational retort that Hermione is trying to like get a word in edgewise. But unfortunately this whole book, she doesn't really have a case uh, to state. There's, there's no shock about the elves being mistreated. No. All right. Well, that is the chapter and now it's time for MVP of the week. Going back to something we brought up a couple minutes ago, I'm going to give my MVP of the week to Ron specifically for the line, Mom, you've given me Ginny's new dress. 
when presented with his new dress robes. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. And sorry, Ron. I'm sure she does the laundry all the time. That must happen in a house with so many kids. Like, right. oops. oopsie. I'm going to give mine to Mundungus Fletcher. Trying to get a big, big tent out of uh, from the government. Um, bless him for trying. We don't. I don't dislike Mundungus yet. He's he's great. Yes. So far, um, controversially, I'm gonna give mine to Rita Skeeter. <gasps> Not because I like her, but because she is genuinely the most interesting thing that happens in this chapter. <laughs> And her entire character arc is really interesting to me. And she's not even there. That's the best part. I know. She's not, she's not even there. there. She like <laughs> That's how you carries know you're good. such a reputation. Yeah. And I'm going to give it to Basil, who is the Basil. master or Basil, Basil or Basil. I don't know. However you want to pronounce it. The master of the port keys. That man was very busy the morning after the Quidditch World Cup. It was such a stressful job. Well, I think we had a good start to the year with Chapter by Chapter. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by emailing or sending a voice memo recorded on your phone to mugglecast.gmail.com or by using our phone number, which is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. Next week, we'll discuss Chapter 11 of Goblet of Fire which is titled Aboard the Hogwarts Express. And we will also have on one of our Slug Club patrons. Yes. Well, Micah, I mean, you know, you're not going to be here next week. So we'll just have to play this sound effect again and again. Choo-choo. (laughs) Choo-choo. So you'll be here in spirit. Correct. And you'll really be in Paris. Have a nice time. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. Micah, are you going to check out the Circus Arcanus? I hear they're in Paris. (laughs) Yeah. I will. Uh, <laughs> please take. Uh, thank you. so Bef- excited. Be- please before take pictures they, well, of the I, French ministry. Yeah, I want to make sure I see them before they move to Orlando for their, uh, you know, <laughs> permanent yeah. residence. Did a bonus muggle uh, cast on that? Actually, but, uh, Pierre mm. Lachaise, right? Uh, that's that, probably oh, cool go. to check out. Yeah, please go. I've never been. Please, I want to. I would love to go to Paris. That's next on my. And I will be in London afterwards, so I am headed to the oh. studio tour and will report back. All right, well, it's time for Quizage. Last year's last Quizage question. What did Rita Skeeter once call Bill Weasley in an interview with Gringotts Cursebreakers? The correct answer is a long-haired pillock, <laughs> which, hey, at least it wasn't me she called that. Correct answers. Here are the winners for the last Quizage of last year. Justice for Winky. Mrs. Finnegan's Irish wristwatch, the hella good boat Arthur made for Ludo Bagman, Bill and Rita totally got their skeeter on, Pilbus Dumbledore's Christmas cookies, Mundungus Fletcher's 12-bedroom tent with ensuite jacuzzi, Hermione is an anarchist and I will die on this hill, Andrew's unwholesome gift, all I will want for Christmas is sexy Bill Weasley, stream the Triwizard Tournament on Pillock, I mean Peacock, (laughs) Buff Daddy, Hallow Wolf, Katie from Hufflepuff, Nate, the 12 year old, cooler than this Luke kid. That's harmful. Wow. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> that was what they put. I think Luke is amazing. Okay. Elizabeth K., amazing Skibidi. Perry over the 12th. If Ron is a time traveling Dumbledore, then the 1890s dress robes make perfect sense. Dumbledore's lawn chair he uses to watch chaos unfold. <laughs> Raxford Chaser. 
And finally, this is one I've never heard before in 20 years of being a Harry Potter fan. Question, where can you find Dumbledore's army? Answer, up his sleevey. Okay. Uh, Well, it sort of rhymes. I'm excited mine made it. Oh, yours did make it. Which one is yours? Probably the one that had me shook. Oh, Bill and Rita totally got their skeeter on. Yeah. <laughs> ding, 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 oh, ding, that ding, was ding. you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. See, Laura and I are yeah, on the I same was, wavelength. I was shook when I heard. I was like, <laughs> see, I, I was creative without being too inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> their skeeter I appreciate on. it. All right. Well, here is the first Quizage question of the new year. What spell does Hermione start learning on the Hogwarts Express in Harry's fourth year? Meaning this year, meaning the chapter that we're about to read next week. Anyone can submit their answer and fun nickname to us on the Quizich form, which is located on the MuggleCast website, mugglecast.com slash Quizich, or go to MuggleCast, set it as your homepage while you're there, and click on Quizich from the main nav. Send it as your homepage. Speaking of MuggleCast.com, if you click on the Must Listens link in the menu, you will find our Wall of Fame, which was updated over our break. Micah added numerous episodes. This is a great place to go to find some of our favorite episodes of MuggleCast, some big news-oriented episodes of MuggleCast, some particularly fun and special episodes. So maybe if you're a new listener, even over the last couple of years, go to MuggleCast.com, click on Must Listens. Um, you'll find other great stuff too, our chapter by chapter archive, our movie commentaries, special interviews, and more. We added maybe like 10 or so episodes from 2023, including our most recent one, uh, which I know we had gotten a couple of suggestions in the discord to just throw it up there. Um, so our last episode, Oh, our best Christmas episode ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Minus the cheer. <laughs> Got Since it. Since it was such a dark episode. Um, yeah, but I will okay. say the ones I really enjoy kind of going back and listening to are the ones that were, we did on the specific houses, like the deep dive that we did on Gryffindor, Slytherin, oh, those were but so more importantly, yeah. Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. And you wrote little, uh, captions for each episode, which is great as well. So mm-hmm. check all of those outs, the must listens page on mugglecast.com. You can also visit the site for transcripts, social media links, our full episode archive, and to contact us. If you enjoy the show and think other muggles like you would too, tell a friend about the show. We would also appreciate if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. And last but not least, listener support is the reason why we are a weekly podcast. So visit patreon.com slash mugglecast if you want to support the show and you'll receive early access to the show, ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, yearly physical gifts, access to our live streams, and so much more. And then if you prefer to support us via Apple Podcasts, we now have MuggleCast Gold, where you will get bonus MuggleCast, ad-free MuggleCast, and early access to MuggleCast. As Micah brought up at the top of the episode, it's a great deal. Whether you're pledging through Patreon or Apple Podcasts, free trials are available, and uh, so are annual subscriptions. And if you sign up for a year up front, you will receive a discount on that annual subscription. That's our way of thanking you for supporting us for the year ahead so that does it for this week's episode thanks everybody for listening happy new year excited to be with you in our 19th year of being your harry potter friends i'm andrew i'm eric i'm micah and i'm laura bye everybody Bye. bye
拜哟。Bye